Hello friends, welcome, delighted you could be here. This episode is about y'all. Y'all have been leaving me voice memos with your questions. And today I am delighted to be randomly choosing five and delivering an answer for you. So let's dive into the first episode of Sharon Answers Your Questions. I'm Sharon McMahon and welcome to the Sharon Says So podcast. All right, today's first question is from Eric. Hi, Sharon. This is Eric. Great website, by the way, and everything. I have a question about executive orders. How does a president come to have executive orders? I don't believe they're allowed in the Constitution, if I remember correctly. How did that power fall to the executive branch? And what's your opinion on executive orders? Should there be a limit to them? Just kind of expand on that, if you would. Okay, that is actually a fantastic question, Eric. And a lot of people have asked me that. So you are not alone alone in wondering this because it is true. When you look at the constitution, it's not like it says, and a president could just go ahead and write all of the executive orders they feel like. It's no problem. Whatever you want to say, no bigs, go ahead and write it down. We'll make sure it happens. It does say that, right? This is where the executive power comes from, the executive power to write executive orders. It comes from article two of the constitution. And this is what it says. The executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States. This has been interpreted to mean that a president has the power of executive orders. This goes all the way back to George Washington. He wrote the very first executive order, which was about, hey, all of y'all in the executive departments in my cabinet, write me like a note and tell me what you guys are doing. I mean, obviously I'm paraphrasing, but between the period of George Washington's presidency and the end of Calvin Coolidge's presidency, beginning of Herbert Hoover's presidency at the turn of the century, we didn't even keep track. We didn't number them through the historic record. We have estimated how many people wrote, but Estimates range from like 1,500 to 50,000 different executive orders. George Washington, we know, wrote eight executive orders. Just to give you a little bit of historic context, Woodrow Wilson wrote 1,800 executive orders. FDR wrote 3,721 executive orders. One of the most famous executive orders, of course, written by Abraham Lincoln, which was the Emancipation Proclamation. That was an executive order. And most of us look back on that now and we're like, dang, that was the best move ever. That was the right move. And yet it was a move that was wildly unpopular with approximately half the United States. It is not something that people in the South were like, I agree with that executive order. Good job. No, obviously they were so unhappy about it and other circumstances that they were willing to go to war over it. Just to give you a little bit more recent context, Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, all two-term presidents, issued 364, 291, and 276 executive orders. During Donald Trump's single term, he issued 220 executive orders. Biden so far has issued 53. Obviously, he's not even been in office for a year yet as of this recording, so that number is going to continue to grow. But this is something that people continue to make use of. One of the things that's unique about executive orders is that the next president can just undo. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Some of the things that Biden did on his first day in office were to undo some of Trump's previous executive orders. This is in contrast to a law. A president cannot come in and just be like, you know what? Erase that signature. I do not like that you signed that law. Erase. I withdraw that law. That is not how it works. Whereas with an executive order, a president can, with the stroke of a pen, essentially eliminate a previous president's executive order. There are some limitations to executive orders. One of them is... You cannot do anything that's unconstitutional. If you do, the Supreme Court can override your executive order. You cannot do anything that violates existing laws. So if the existing law says we need to provide funding and money for special needs students in public schools, the next president cannot just come in and be like, no, we don't. No, we don't. Absolutely not. You cannot undo existing laws with executive orders. Also, Congress has the power of the purse that is guaranteed to them constitutionally. So a president cannot just come in and unilaterally decide to spend a bunch of money or cancel spending a bunch of money. Those jobs belong to Congress. Now, is it possible that Congress could delegate some emergency funds for discretionary use to the president and they could use them how they would like? Yes, that has happened in the past. But they cannot just come into office and be like, the tax rate is now 100%. Can't do that. They also cannot do anything that is expressly forbidden. So they cannot get into office and say, I am now the king of America. Also, turns out, not permitted. People have varying perspectives on how much a president should be using executive orders. If you agree with the current president, chances are good that most of their executive orders, you're like, yeah, good idea. I like that. If you dislike the person who is currently in office, chances are good you don't like a lot of their executive orders or you're like, why are we writing all these executive orders? You chafe at the idea that a president would have the power to do that. So great question, Eric. The answer is it is in Article 2 of the Constitution. I did not even dive into delegated power given to the president via Congress, especially when it relates to emergencies. It's another level of executive power. But it has been used for everything from, hey, can you guys write me a letter and let me know what you guys are up to? Okay, thanks. All the way up to, and now the enslaved shall be free. And everything in between. All right, let's get to our next question, which comes from Annie. I live in Oklahoma, which was just declared a 2A sanctuary state. I don't understand. How does this affect regular people? How does this affect people with guns in their home or gun licenses? 
Thank you. This is a fantastic question. I have been DM'd this question a bunch of times. What does it mean to be a second amendment sanctuary? These are laws that have been passed all over the country. Sometimes they've been passed by like a county or a city or sometimes by an entire state. There are some states where the entire state, like Oklahoma, Texas, Missouri, Arkansas, Montana, etc., they have said, hey, we're Second Amendment sanctuary states. And so people are like, well, what does that even mean? What does that mean to be a sanctuary state? Here is the bottom line. It is a symbolic act that does not have any real force of law. It's symbolic, and what it is symbolic of is a resistance of federal gun laws. It is their way of saying, we are not going to use any local law enforcement resources to enforce federal gun laws. Now, is that constitutionally permissible for them to say to the federal government, we are not going to enforce your laws? It's not because of the supremacy clause of the United States. But then it would be up to the federal government to determine in what way they would like to force states to comply. So that is the short answer. Number one, it is states and local jurisdictions saying, we do not want to enforce any federal gun laws. And number two, it is largely symbolic. If the feds wanted to step in, they could do that. And to what extent they will do so is TBD. I hope that helps. All right. Our next question is from Kendall. This is Kendall. I am a Texan transplanted in California. I have always loved Thomas Jefferson. And if someone ever asked me who my favorite president was, I would say Thomas Jefferson. But in recent years, I've done some research and I've learned that he's not perfect And there's a lot of things about him and his personal life that I didn't know. And it's kind of tainted my image of him. So my question for you is, should we have favorite presidents? And how do we reconcile imperfect people with the perfect role models that we want them to be? Kendall, I love this question. This is a question so many of us are wrestling with right now. What you are saying is exactly what so many people are thinking. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress in our life. Absolutely. It's unavoidable. It's just part of the human experience. But some of us have more than others, and some of us handle it better than others. Some of us really keep it bottled up, and it can start to affect us negatively. I would imagine at some point in your life, you can relate to this, right? And therapy is a safe space to be able to get some of these things off your chest. And that is why so many people find benefit in speaking to a qualified professional. If you're thinking about starting therapy for something like managing your stress, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Sharon today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Sharon. We have all had embarrassing moments where something didn't smell quite right. 
And if you have any children or people in your lives who have stinky toes, stinky feet, and those stinky shoes pile up by the door of your house. And then when people come over, they're like, um, your house smells weird. There's a solution for that. And it is not necessarily spraying down your house with disinfectant. It is taking care of the smell at the source by using Lumi on places like the people in your house's stinky feet. It is a whole body deodorant. It is safe to use anywhere on your body. It was created by a doctor who saw firsthand how stinky feet and other body parts are often misdiagnosed as problems when in reality you could just use a product like Lumi and it would take care of the issue. It has been clinically proven to block odor all day and control odor for up to 72 hours. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, a cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice like mini body wash and deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code SHARON at lumideodorant.com. That equates to over 40% off your starter pack when you visit lumideodorant.com and use code SHARON. We hear from a lot of interesting people on this podcast, and I know that I am always hungry for more. And what if you could learn from the world's best all in one place? Guess what? You can. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with over 200 of the world's best instructors. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And you can access Masterclass on your phone, your computer, your smart TV, even in audio modes, you can listen to it like a podcast. I know that when I watch Doris Kearns Goodwin, that first of all, I'm going to be getting fantastic information, that the production level is going to be incredible, and then I'm going to walk away feeling smarter and more informed than I was before. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Sharon. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Sharon masterclass.com slash Sharon. How do we reconcile people who have made positive contributions to U.S. history with their extremely problematic viewpoints and behaviors? How do we say, wow, Thomas Jefferson, you helped craft the Declaration of Independence and America would be nothing without you. And also say, wow, you enslaved a lot of people and fathered children with one of your slaves. How do we separate out the good from the bad? And there is not a magic formula to this. And we are all going to likely land at different conclusions. So I am not here to tell you that ding, 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 I have it all figured out. You're going to walk away being like, now I get it. Because this is an issue to be grappled with. There is not a simple solution. For me, I think taking the totality of their life is something important. So for example, let's say somebody committed a crime and went to prison 
And then when they got out of prison, they were a changed person. They apologized sincerely. They spent the rest of their life working at the homeless shelter and raising money for nonprofits. If we looked at their entire life as a whole, we could say, yeah, they made these mistakes. They should not have committed that crime. And yet they also made these positive contributions. They turned it around in later years. They worked to make restitution. They tried to be better. Just like it would be fair to do that to a private citizen, I think it's also fair to do that to historic figures, to look at their life as a whole and say, yeah, they did these bad things and it was not okay. We don't have to pretend that the bad things that they did were okay because they also did some good things. Just like we would not do that for a private citizen, we would be like, yeah, that person should not have robbed that store at gunpoint. That should not have happened. We can look back on a private person and say, shouldn't have done that, and yet here are all the ways that they tried to make up for it or all the ways they tried to be a positive force in their community. We need to do the same, in my opinion, for historic figures. Does that mean that we give equal weight to their positive and negative contributions? No, it means we look at their life as a whole and we weigh their positive contributions against their negative contributions. Let me give you an example. Andrew Jackson, such an interesting, interesting character in U.S. history. He did some positive things, but on balance, his whole life, in my opinion, his negative contributions far outweigh his positive contributions. Absolutely. If you look at Abraham Lincoln as a whole, did he make some mistakes? Was he too soft on slavery when he first got elected to office? Sure, yes, he was. But overall, his positive contributions outweigh his negative contributions. Doesn't mean we overlook the negative contributions. Doesn't mean we don't call a spade a spade. Doesn't mean we don't say... Thomas Jefferson, the fact that you owned Sally Hemings and fathered her children is unacceptable. It doesn't mean we don't say that. But it also doesn't mean that we're just like, well, the Declaration of Independence meant absolutely nothing. Forget it. Does that make sense? This is something that every individual will have to weigh for themselves, but that is how I approach a situation. I look at the contributions as a whole, look at their life in its entirety, and call a spade a spade, both positive and and negative. All right. The next question is from Rebecca. So somebody that I know recently posted on their Instagram story, something along the lines about how what's happening in America is so similar to what happened um, in pre-Nazi Germany. And then of course, during World War II, when the Nazis reigned and how some people are just turning a blind eye to it and saying that it's for our safety, it's for equality. From what I could gather, this is in reference to the um, COVID-19 response in the U.S. I'm assuming that she has drawn this comparison based off of things that she's, you know, seeing from uh, media outlets and probably more specifically her social media. And I'm just wondering, how do I help her understand that that is, number one, a very extreme comparison Um, a very inaccurate comparison, and how do I help her feel less fearful and extreme about not even just the COVID-19 response, but, you know, a party being in quote-unquote power that she doesn't align with? Rebecca, that is a fantastic question, a thoughtful question, and I have a few things to say. 
The first one is when people ask me, how can I get somebody to see X? How can I help somebody change their mind about Y? Whatever it is. The answer is you can't. You cannot get somebody to change their mind about X or Y. And the evidence demonstrates that the more you persist in trying to force people to change their minds about something, the more deeply ingrained that thinking becomes, the more they will resist you, and the more they will cling to their current way of thinking. So my recommendation would never be to be like, that is ridiculous. What kind of an idiot are you? That's not going to work. If just shaming people into stopping a certain behavior or ceasing to believe something actually worked, this would be a very different world, right? If we could just be like, stop believing that stupid thing. Stop believing in Hitler. If we could just say the words and people would be like, you know what? I've changed my mind. Obviously, we would be in a very different place in history. So just know that you can't. What you can do, I love the words of Nedra Tawab. She has been a guest on this podcast before. You change the people around you by changing yourself, by being an example, by being a light that others want to look to. If the room is dark and you light a candle, someone's eyes immediately go towards the light, right? You don't enter a dark room and then yell at people about why the room is dark, you light the candle. So the best way to get her to change her mind is to be an example of the change, to embody the kind of peace that she is undoubtedly looking for. And I know that that is taking the high road. And I know that that is taking the hard and high road. (laughs) Sometimes people are like, when do I get the easy road? When is my easy road here? Why am I always on this high road that is like full of tree stumps? When is my paved road coming? I get that. But absolve yourself of the responsibility to change her because it's not your responsibility to change her. Listen, I know if you pick up any kind of beauty magazine or you follow an influencer, there's like a new skincare product every single day of the week. And it can be really difficult to know which ones to even try, like which one is worth your money. And if you're tired of cycling through ineffective skincare trends and overcomplicated routines, you might be excited to know that one of today's sponsors is OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy. No complicated routines, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. The secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS1 peptide. It's the first ingredient proven to switch off the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. I especially like the eye cream. It's not too thick where you feel like it's going to clog all your pores, but it goes on really, really nicely under makeup. For a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first OneSkin purchase using the code SHARON when you check out at oneskin.co. That's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O. Try one skin and enjoy younger, healthier skin without all the extra steps. That's oneskin.co, code SHARON. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, let's get into the meat of your question, though, which is about comparisons between the United States and pre-war Germany. First of all, it does demonstrate a serious lack of understanding about what history is like. To make that comparison absolutely demonstrates someone's lack of understanding. So perhaps approach it with that sense of compassion. Perhaps approach it with like, this person, wow, didn't actually understand what it was like for Hitler to rise to power didn't understand what it was like during this global economic crisis of the 1930s, didn't understand what it was like for the debts that Germans were supposed to pay under the Versailles Peace Treaty after World War I, didn't understand what it was like to not be able to pay those anymore and for millions of Germans to lose their jobs. They don't understand the full historic context if that is the comparison they are making. Secondly, I don't believe in entertaining any more comparisons between anything and the Nazis. Literally, this needs to be a thing that needs to go away. I just don't even know how to say it forcefully enough. In many cases, it borders on disinformation, anti-Semitism. To compare anything to the Holocaust, unless it is another genocide, to compare anything, the systematic slaughter of six million Jews to Anything, unless it is also the systematic slaughter of a people, is disingenuous at best and extraordinarily harmful at at worst. So it is time for Americans to stop comparing things to the Nazis. It is disrespectful to the families of six million people who lost their lives to say, well, this is just like the Nazis. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. That is a hill I am willing to die on. No, it isn't. Unless you are coming to me discussing actual systematic slaughter of human beings on the basis of their ethnic and religious background, no, it isn't. You can tell this fires me up. (laughs) There's just a couple little facts about what actually was going on in Germany before World War II got started. Uh, First of all, they were having tons of new elections, 
They would just call a new election when they felt like it. They had one election and literally a couple of months later, they had another election. We have the rule of law in the United States. We don't do things like that. Another example is they arrested 10,000 people, communists, because of their political beliefs. The United States is not arresting, imprisoning, and sending people to forced labor camps on the basis of their political beliefs. They are not torturing people in forced labor camps. They are not killing them in forced labor camps. Stop drawing the comparison. Again, I'm not speaking directly to you. I'm just talking to Americans in general. Need to stop comparing anything to the systematic slaughter of humans. Burning down buildings, arresting people who disagreed with them, shipping people off on trains never to be heard from again because they were killed, the government stealing all of your personal possessions of value. No, there is not a comparison. And I want to hear everybody listening to this commit to not making that comparison anymore. I could talk about this for a really long time, but hopefully that helps. You can't convince her. You need to be the light and be willing to take the high road. And also all of us need to stop comparing things to the Nazis unless it is actual real life genocide. The end. And the last question today comes from Melissa. So through Instagram, you've given tons of great examples of how our country's been super divided before this. Can you give us some examples of where you see our country being united in ways it has never been before? This, I love this. You know, I just chose five questions at random and I love that this is the last question I picked. This is such a great note to end this episode on because I can give you a couple of examples of ways that we are currently more united than we perhaps have been in the past. One of the areas that both sides, and of course there are more than two sides, if you think about political alignment in the form of a spectrum of people being far on one side, far on the other side, this is something that nearly everyone agrees with and nearly everyone is on board with and that perhaps even 50 years ago was not the case, and that is the desire to have a criminal justice system that is fair, that responds appropriately, that convicts only the guilty, that seeks the truth. Now, do we currently have that? Of course not. That is a goal that needs to be worked towards, but nearly everyone in this country agrees that is a goal worth having and we should work towards a criminal justice system, a legal system that seeks the truth, convicts only the guilty, and is applied fairly. And I'll give you another example, and that is about the role of women in society. Even 100 years ago, women had just barely been given the right to vote, and it was still controversial. There were still a lot of people who were like, mm, woman's place is in the home. What does a woman know about politics? What does a woman know about voting? And that has thankfully changed dramatically for the better. It is now a fringe weirdo who has the opinion of women should not be able to vote, right? If you hear somebody on the internet being like, I don't know if women should be able to vote, everybody's like, what? Do you know what I mean? Like we now collectively are like, that's 
ridiculous. So we can all unite now around this idea that people should have equal rights, no matter what kind of body they were born into, and that they should have the right to receive an appropriate education, no matter the income or education level or political position or social status that their parents come from. It used to be that only the wealthy, only the male, only the white, only the landowners were afforded the privilege of an education. And we can all now unite around this idea that everyone, regardless of socioeconomic status and regardless of the type of body they were born into, we should all be treated equally and fairly in the eyes of the law. So that's another example of a lot of progress that we have made in this country over the past 200 plus years that even 100 years ago was still real sketchy, real sketchy about whether people agreed that women should have the right to vote. There are more examples too, but those are just a couple off the top of my head that I can give you of ways that we are more united than we were even 100 years ago or even 50 years ago. That is it, you guys. I hope you liked this episode. I cannot wait to answer more of your questions. Thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for listening to the Sharon Says So podcast. I am truly grateful for you. And I'm wondering if you could do me a quick favor. Would you be willing to follow or subscribe to this podcast or maybe leave me a rating or a review? Or if you're feeling extra generous, would you share this episode on your Instagram stories or with a friend? All of those things help podcasters out so much. I cannot wait to have another mind-blown moment with you next episode. Thanks again for listening to the Sharon Says So podcast.